0: Easter Sunday, you know in in the uh, history of of humankind, uh, we we generally divide history into two parts: um, the age that was in Christian history at least, and the age that is to come, and the dividing line between those two ages was the birth the life, the death, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and uh, uh, this, is, this is a day that is magnificent in the life of, of the Christians because we have uh, we've addressed an issue that every single person, every human being, regardless of your faith tradition, whether you're Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or Jewish or anything else, Regardless, everyone has questions about life and death and its meaning. And so the past few weeks, we've been talking about the life of Jesus, His perfect obedience, His life that He lived for us, and that perfect righteousness being given to us, being imputed to us, as we say. And then last week, we talked about His death this perfect sacrifice on the cross, the shedding of Jesus' blood for us and as us. In other words, He took our place, the punishment uh, that we deserved. And this morning we're going to look at His resurrection. And we're going to do it looking at Psalm 39. And so I would invite you to turn to Psalm 39. We're going to read this entire psalm. Now hear the word of God. I said I will guard my ways, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle, so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail. And my distress grew worse. My heart became faint, hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreads, my lifetime as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and goes and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely, all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner. With you, a guest, like all our fathers, look away from me, that I may smile again, before I depart and am no more. This is the word of the Lord. Why in the world would I pick Psalm 39 for Easter? Uh, I'm going to hopefully I'll make that clear to you as we go through it, and and. Psalm 39 really gets at the deepest questions that human beings have. The very deepest questions of life, of death, the meaning of life. Is there something after life? What's going to happen to us? And David enters into a titanic struggle with God. This psalm, and many others, but this psalm in particular, is one of the grittiest, most realistic poems and literature in history. John Calvin, in his preface to the Psalms, uh, three volumes in his commentary on the Psalms, Calvin says this, The Psalms are an anatomy of all parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which one can be conscious, listen, not an emotion of which one can be conscious that is not here represented. The Holy Spirit has drawn to life all the griefs, the sorrows, the fears, the doubts, the hopes, the cares, the perplexities, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of people are agitated. And so we're going to look at Psalm 39, and, I st- I, and you will see the connections between this psalm and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we believe in our church was a true historic event. He didn't just, it's not just an idea. He actually rose from the grave. The body that went in the grave came out of the grave. And I'll try to explain a little bit more as we go. We're going to look at three things this morning very quickly. We're going to look at David's agony, and then David's prayer, and then David's hope. David's agony, David's prayer, and David's hope. Look at these first few verses. I'll guard my ways, my tongue, my muzzle, my mouth, so that I don't sin because the wicked may be present. In other words, David is being very circumspect. He's being very careful. He doesn't want to voice the hurts and the pains and the griefs and the suffering and the doubts and the fear and all the rest. He doesn't want to do that in front of somebody who is wicked and is not believing the same things that he may believe about God and about himself. He doesn't want to do that because, my goodness, they might blaspheme, they might mock, they might make fun of me. For believing. Oh, you're a Christian. You all know, believe those fables. You believe those fairy tales. You know, you're pie in the sky, you know, heaven and all that. Sure, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'll keep it to myself, David said. I'll, I'll hold it in. I won't do that. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be shamed. But he can't do it. He says, My distress grew worse. My heart became hot. Within me, whatever it was that was working on David was, was getting to be, it was like a volcano. He couldn't hold it in anymore and finally, he can't stand it any longer and he erupts. Something in his life is causing great agony. He is deeply distressed, deeply disturbed about something. There's some anguish going on, some doubt, some fear. Something is happening inside David. And thankfully, we don't know what it is. Because if he had said it's because of this thing, then we would all just set this psalm aside until that thing happened to us. Then we'd dig it out, we'd bring it out, and we'd want to make it out ours. But instead, he doesn't really tell us. Some places he does, but here he doesn't. It's brilliant the majesty of the Holy Spirit behind these words is, is clearly seen. Something is working in David's life that is horrible, horrific, and it is crushing him. He is in frustration, he's suffering. Now, I know this is going to be hard for you, but look, look, just bear with me a moment. Imagine. Imagine all the electricity goes out and your battery, all your batteries are dead. So there's no battery, no electricity, and there's nobody around. So no electricity, no batteries, and nobody's around. Letters from the alphabet will start to percolate up in your mind. And those letters from the alphabet will start to arrange and group themselves into words. And then those words will start to form sentences. And from those sentences, ideas will begin to percolate up in your mind. This is what people used to call thinking. Now, it's hard to do now. I am the first to admit. I mean, you got your smartphone, your computer, your TV, your music, your this, your that. I mean, it is just unbelievable the amount of input. But believe it or not, kids, believe it or not, there was a time when human beings actually used to sit down and do nothing but think. And that's what David calls musing. He sat down in his grief, kind of like Job, sitting down in the ashes with the boils all over him, and he just sits there and he thinks, he starts contemplating this agony, this pain, this fear, and I don't care what your age is, you could be young, you could be old, but everybody has these nagging doubts in their mind, I do, and I shouldn't, but I, I do. And so what does David do? Look what he does. This is remarkable, and if you don't notice it, I, I hope you will uh, see it. David does not turn away from God. You know, we were talking in our theology class at, at 9 o'clock this morning that people, when something bad happens to you, something really bad, a disease, a broken marriage, a, a lost career, uh, a, a cheating spouse, you name it, what, what, you know, child dies, whatever, Spouse dies. You know that 75 to 80% statistics bear out. 75 to 80% of people who are believing Christians, who claim to be Christians, turn away from God and never trust Him again. They may keep coming to church, but they're mad. They're steaming mad. Their heart is hot within them. They're angry. They don't know why God let that happen. And David does something remarkable. He stays engaged with God. He stays with Him. He complains. He laments. He pours out his grief. He acknowledges truths that he knows about God that are in some way answering that ache and that pain. He's not covering it up. The Bible is not this fluffy kind of, you know, padded room that did the insane go into. It's just not. It is gritty and earthy and real. And God is not afraid of our questions. He's not afraid of our doubts. Look at verses, really the rest of the psalm from on is a prayer. But look at the first few verses. Make me know my end. Measure my days. I'm fleeting. My, my, my life is a hand, hand breath. by the way, was just the, the four fingers. And no matter what size person you are, they're generally, you know, you could be a big person with big hands. They're still a relative size. Or you could be a small person, small hands, still a relative size. But it's just this much. It was an ancient measurement. Everybody used it. All mankind is a mere breath, a shadow. He uses a Hebrew word, it's, it's Hebel. And Hebel is what you read in, in the book of Ecclesiastes. They translate vanity in the book of, of uh, Ecclesiastes. They translate it meaningless. In all of life is meaningless. It's a Hebel. But that's not a good translation. A better translation is all of life is a vapor. It's smoke. It's like on a cold, crisp morning and you breathe and the the breath comes out and then before you know it, it, it evaporates, it disappears. Or you're enjoying a cigar or a pipe, you know, Presbyterians, we enjoy that kind of thing until the doctor tells you you have cancer like he did me and then there's no more. But you have your pipe or your cigar and the smoke is wafting up and it's... Moving around, you can't get your hands on it it's it's wavy it's it moves it wobbles you can't really get your or a shadow. look at the richness of his language you know I have two dogs I have a a, a boxer uh, and he's cuter than all of your dogs. I have a boxer, his name is Muggs. I have another little dog he's a terrier he's a uh, uh, terrier blue healer mix uh, he's it, it, he they're like pinky in the brain, <laughs> you know the, the little one is pinky, he's the one that thinks he's human and but Muggs is just the he's a knucklehead, and any of you that have boxers, you know they're kind of knuckleheads. And every spring when he was young, he's old now, but when he was young, he would go out, you know, spring, like this time of the year, I'd take him out in the backyard, let him romp and play, and the moths, you know, and the b- bugs are flying around, and, and uh, they're casting a shadow on the ground, so these shadows are moving, and Mugs would chase the shadows until he was exhausted. His poor little tongue would be hanging out, and he'd just be going like, trying to catch the shadows. I'd have to bring him in so he didn't die. This is what David's saying our life is like. And you know that. You know, the older you get, the more you're aware of it. When you're young kids, you know, when you're younger, uh, you kids know it's like, I'm never going to get to be 16 and get to drive. I'm never going to get to be 21 and get to drink. (laughs) No, don't do that. I'm never going to get to be this old. I'm never going to get to be this old. Then you get to a certain age and you start going, oh my God, (laughs) there's not much time left. You know, and and you're starting to... So time is very interesting. And David is saying our time is a breath. He uses it three times in verses 5, 6, and 11. He says our life is a breath our all mankind is a mere breath it's a shadow we're like nothing one of the uh, verses says we're like nothing uh, that word is also a breath david is asking god this this is what he's how he's engaging with god around the subject of life and death i don't care who you are you think about it I don't care what your age is you think about it and he's saying let me see my life please he's praying let me see my life who i am in relationship to you with respect to eternity see david understood that god time for god was not a thing god he's immortal he's eternal it's not that he's outside of time they're just it's not it's not a thing for him He is eternal. And David is saying, you've made me this way. I'm here on this earth, and my time is short. It's vaporous. It's fragile. And something's happened to me, and I'm getting crushed. I'm getting beat down. And then look at verses 9 through 11. He says, I'm mute. I don't open my eyes. He's speechless. He doesn't know what to say about it. It is so troubling. And then he does something that should blow your mind. He addresses God, and if you didn't really understand David and the way he was with God, you would say, boy, he's getting a little marginal here. He's getting on the edge. He's being He might be blaspheming here. Here's what David says. Look at it. It, it, it just took my breath away. The regular breath. You've done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand, when you consume, you do it like a moth. You consume like everything is dear to Him. Wow! How many of us talk to God that way? How many of us are that honest, that down-to-earth, where we would say to God Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth and all things, the One who's wiser than us, greater than us, bigger than whatever you believe God is. He's way beyond you. And who are we to talk to Him like this? But look at what David is really doing. And this is what you need to understand when you think about these great things. The resurrection. The cross of Jesus. The life of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, resurrection. His ascension into heaven. And His session at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And He was handed a scepter of righteousness. All that is captured here. And all of that deals with those deep issues that everyone in this room, we think about, we muse, what about this life and death? And what David does is, it's amazing, he's wounded, he's trapped, he's cornered, he's suffering in some unbelievable way, whatever it is. And what he does is He clears away, listen, He clears away everything else from the table. All the circumstances, all the possibilities, all the potential this or that's and why's and what for's and therefore's, and He gets rid of everything except Him and God. And He says, I know, I know, I know, nothing can touch Me except that it first passes through your hand. Somehow, it's just you and me. I'm not going to try to figure out what the consul maybe it was because of Bathsheba. Maybe it was because I murdered her husband, Uriah. Maybe it was because I counted the people and tried to mass a big army so that I could depend on the army and not depend on you. Maybe it was some other reason. No, he doesn't do that. He just... Clears it all out of the way because he wants to get God's attention. He wants to do like Jesus taught in his parable about going to the judge and just knock and knock and knock until he answers. God is not hard of hearing. But he doesn't want to hear our platitudes. Believe me. He is tired of religious platitudes and the these and the thou's and you know all that. He wants us to be honest with him. You know, I am suffering here and you could stop it if you would remove your stroke from me help me i don't understand all that suffering is a mystery i don't know i don't think anyone knows but until you clear everything away and get with god you will never have comfort and peace you'll never whether you clear things out of the way and really start musing thinking about life and death what does my life mean If you're just going to die and go in the grave and rot, fine and dandy. But that means nothing you're doing right now matters. And if you're going to evaporate in death and be joined to the great cosmos up there, whatever that is up there, the great mind, the great spirit above, whatever that is, that you're going to somehow join that great whatever. Well, that's good. You will be sharing... Consciousness with the Dalai Lama and with, uh, you know, with uh, uh, Billy Graham and and Mother Teresa and uh, the Buddha and Adolf Hitler and Stalin and Osama bin Laden. And worst of all, you'll be sharing your consciousness with me. Now, I don't know what was rolling around in all those other people's minds, but I know what's in my mind and you don't want to know. He clears everything out of the way except Him and God. He said, I want to know. I want to understand this stroke, this life, this death, this meaning. I want to know it in light of your eternity and I want to know it in light of your sovereignty. You see, God is controlling all things. He doesn't cause evil. He's not responsible for it. That's a whole other sermon. hope you'll come back for that one. But in his agony David does this one thing and this is why I think David was called a man after God's own heart. He runs to God with all the raw hurt, the grittiness of life, and he lays hold and he said, I'm not going to let you go. Kind of like Jacob wrestling with the angel. I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And he's looking, believe me folks, he's looking for people like that. David is never, in all the Psalms, 150 Psalms, never disrespectful to God. But man, does he lament and complain and gripe and carry on about things? uh, Probably 70% of your Psalms are laments and complaints and grief and misery and all that. David probably suffered from depression. You know, psychologists have looked at this stuff and they say he was a manic depressive. Probably bipolar. Well, I don't know, I'm not a doctor. But I know that I feel like him a lot of times. Yes? Yes? Mark Deaver, he's a pastor of uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, uh, D.C. Great pastor, really a good, good guy. And he says this in the hard places, when, when life is really just not going that great, when things are really bad and you are really struggling, I don't care what it is, and it is really painful and you don't know why, and there just aren't any answers forthcoming, he says this listen, this is brilliant. It's when our belief in God's sovereignty meets our trust in God's goodness. You see, when our trust in God's sovereignty meets our trust in God's goodness that our complaints against Him can be silenced and turned into prayers. Brilliant. This is hard to accept, folks. It's hard. I'm a Christian minister, and I will tell you, we don't have all the answers. We don't know why things happen in this world. But I do know what I do know, and that is God in His power and in His grace and in His love has, in fact, answered that deepest gnawing, aching pain in each and every one of us. And that's David's hope. Look at verses 7 and 8. I picked them out of there. And then verses 12 and 13. The way that Hebrew scriptures are arranged, and some of you may know this, maybe you don't, but they're arranged in in the way so that they look a certain way. And there's many different ways. There's what is commonly called a chiasm. And a chiasm is where you have, let's say you have verse 1 through 10 or 1 through 13, like this psalm. In the very center, the psalmist will put the main point. And so everything ahead of that and everything under it is pushing towards the main point. Where in English, you know, we go like this and then we make the point at the end. Uh, Not everybody, but generally in modern literature. But in ancient literature, they move things around. and, and, And this psalm is like that. Right in the center is seven. Oh Lord, what do I wait for? He answers all this ache and pain and hurt. He answers it right in the center of the psalm. My hope is in you. And then he ends, 12 and 13. Look, hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Don't remain silent at my tears. Which one of you parents can stand to see your child crying? For good reasons or bad. We don't like it. It's disturbing. Do you think God is any less of a parent? No. And David pleads with him don't remain silent. Look look away from me. In other words, he says, turn your face from me. You're, you're, you're peering at me like this. You're making me weep with your gaze. He says, turn your gaze away so that I can smile. Let up. Give me some relief. What is David's hope? Well, I'm going to suggest to you folks as we finish this morning on Easter, I'm going to suggest to you that David's hope is the same one that every single soul that has ever been born on this planet ever, that same hope has burned inside every one of us. And that is the question of life, death, meaning, sin, transgression, God, what is God? Who is God? Is it a he? Is it a she? Is it an it? Is it a them? What is this world? What is it? And if we stop for a minute with all the blue screens and we just muse, if we think our minds will go there, and it's not morbid for us to go there, you need to think about what your meaning in life is. Otherwise, you will not enjoy your life. You will not be able to smile again over anything. Circumstances will crush you. And folks, I know some of you are visiting today, Christianity, the Christian religion is utterly, completely unique over against all other religions. Because Christianity comes at life and death And meaning and God, it comes at it from an angle that is so foreign to us. The God that Christianity proclaims answers this question. Life is short. It's full of suffering, agony, and frustration. There's a lot of whys. Why? Because we have been separated from God by our sins. And our misdeeds, we know, we try to make up for them whenever we do something wrong. Doesn't matter what religion you're in, everybody's trying to make up for their sins. But in Christianity, (laughs) Old Testament, it makes no difference. You remember David tried to keep silent, but he couldn't. The anguish, the pain, the agony was too great. He tried to understand life, death, its meaning. He couldn't make sense of it. He begged for God to remove the stroke. It's the Hebrew word for smite. A blow. He begs Him to look away. Look away. In other words, take your judgment away from me. I can't take it. It's too much. Let me ask you this. What in the world is going to remove, if there's a God and if there's judgment, what is going to remove that stroke? What is going to remove that gaze of judgment? What will you do when you stand before Him? Pull out all the good things you've done in your life. Say, here, take a look at these. I got news for you. He's already seen the best. He averted His gaze all right. And His gaze went straight to Jesus Christ on the cross. And we sing in our hymns that He turned His face away. But let me tell you, that's true. He did forsake His Son on that cross. But there's also another reality, another truth, that God inhaled deeply the burning... The smoke of that sacrifice of Jesus. He inhaled it in and He was pleased with what His Son had done for us and as us. The stroke that David deserved, that you deserved, that I deserved was put on him. That is what Christianity is all about. It's not about just being a good person. Ravi Zacharias, it's misquoted in your bulletin. Uh, It's attributed to Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel stole it from Ravi. Ravi probably stole it from somebody else. I don't know. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. (laughs) That's what religion does. He did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And there's all the difference in the world. He takes a stroke. He receives the gaze of judgment. God looking on him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And into the grave he goes... And the great prophet Isaiah, probably the greatest piece of literature ever written in any language, anywhere, 700 years before the coming of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah saw that someone was going to have to take that stroke, that smiting, otherwise we would be doomed. And Isaiah said, Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken. That's the same word. Stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment, the gaze for our peace, so we could live in peace with God. And with His wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one of us to his own way. But the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ bore the agony the pain, the strokes of God, the judgment of God for anyone who will trust Him. It's all He's asking from you. Will you trust Me? I will save you. I will protect you. I will be there for you. Especially when you're in agony. Especially when you're suffering. Especially when things are not going well. Not so that you don't suffer, but so that when you do, you can have hope. Hope in the resurrection from the dead and the life of the world to come. And that you're not going to just go in a hole in the ground and turn to dust. But that you matter to God. He loves you. As Miguel t- read to us and quoted to us, she did it from memory. John 3.16, everybody knows that verse. God so loved the world He gave His Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life, resurrection. It's why we love Easter. We love the resurrection because it gives you hope now in this life. Will you trust Him? If you haven't before, I hope you will. And if you have in the past and maybe you're struggling right now, do it again. I hope you will trust Him. There's a prayer in your bulletin And we don't say too much about this, but it's, it's on page 8. We put it in the bulletin every week. It's right in the middle of the page. And it's a prayer to entrust your life to Jesus Christ. Look, I don't know. Maybe you have. Maybe you're a Christian. Um, you know what? This would be a good thing for you to pray today on Easter Sunday 2019. And if you're not a Christian, maybe you haven't figured things out, you pray this prayer, and you know what? Jesus will say yes to you right now. And I know it sounds kind of like a revival, and, you know, Presbyterians don't believe in revival, but I do. (laughs) I secretly do. I am a closet-excited person. So we're going to do something a little different this morning, and I hope you will do this with me, all of you. And let's pray this prayer together. Out loud, together, and then we'll have Holy Communion. Lord Jesus, I confess that I am weaker and more sinful than I ever dared to admit. I also believe that you love and accept me more than I ever dared to hope. Thank you for dying in my place on the cross, bearing the punishment for my misdeeds, paying the debt for all my sins, and offering me complete forgiveness I believe you have been raised from the dead and have prepared a place for me with your Father in heaven. I turn away from my past life of self-centeredness and now confess you are my Lord, my God, my Savior, my King. With all humility, I ask that you fill me with your blessed Holy Spirit so that I may begin my new life with you. Amen.